Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. All right, guys, I am here with a guest today, and this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a really long time, and I've honestly just been super unsure how to do it, how to approach it, Uh, but I've reached the point where I can't let my anxiety and fear about it not being perfect keep me from having it. Uh, I can't help but share a quote from the beautiful Sumonk Kid novel, The Invention of Wings. I'd grown comfortable with the particulars of evil. There's a frightful muteness that dwells at the center of all unspeakable things, and I had found my way into it. And this is what it feels like to not talk about this stuff. And by this stuff, I mean racial disparity in our country, and particularly as it relates to my work, the wellness world, the lack of representation, the lack of diversity in the wellness world. Because I think we can all agree that well-to-do white women kind of are the wellness industry for the most part. At least that's what we see. Women talking about empowerment and self-care and self-improvement, taking up space and gratitude and being blessed. We know that whole shtick. Um, A few months back, I read a blog written by Chrissy King, who's the woman that we have on the show today. And there was certain lines that absolutely shook me to my core one of which is the following. Silence is complicity and it maintains the status quo. If we aren't willing to get uncomfortable and rock the boat, particularly when you have privilege and influence, I can assure you we will forever be dealing with the same issues. If you care more about appeasing strangers on the internet than empowering women, you are part of the problem. And it was that last line that really kicked me in the gut because I felt it as a personal call to action. And it's not to suggest that my audience is huge, but it exists. And I had told myself kind of over and over again, just stick to food, stick to the body, stick to nutrition, stick to what you know. Your audience is coming to the show for nutrition advice. So how will they respond to me talking about politics? How will they respond to me talking about human rights and race? But I I just can't be talking about kale and broccoli and not talk about larger issues at hand. And I am fortunate to have a platform to speak about these things. And I'm very grateful to my ever-growing audience. And I, of course, appreciate you guys. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I encourage you to listen to today's conversation because I think it's an important one. And if it makes you uncomfortable, that's probably a good thing. And if it makes you angry, I ask that you sit with that emotion or whatever emotion that comes up for you and use it to reflect inward rather than get defensive and project outward. Reflect on your own belief systems. And honest to God, I'm not saying that from a condescending place at all. I'm saying that as someone who has had to do this over and over again, and I still continue to check my own beliefs even when it gets super uncomfortable and especially when it gets super uncomfortable. So 
Without much further ado, I want to welcome the incredible Chrissy King. She is a Milwaukee-based personal trainer, a strength and nutrition coach, a power lifter, a truth teller, and a writer with a passion for intersectional feminism. So Chrissy, thanks so much for being here. I'm wicked excited to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to have uh, to be on your show and to talk with you a little bit. And your whole introduction just like just set the tone for a really great conversation. So cool. I hope so. So why don't we start off by um, you telling us a little bit about who you are for those of you who don't know. Um, tell us a bit about your background and how you got into the work that you do. Absolutely. So um, interestingly, I spent probably, oh, not probably, I spent about 10 years um, in a more corporate type role. I actually just left that job in July. Um, so I did not get, grow up like very into fitness, actually. I spent like so much of my time like reading and writing. I was kind of like a bookworm. Um, and I did not, physical activity was not really a part of my life uh, until my early 20s. Um, and I joined a gym just because my sister joined a gym. I had no interest in strength training. Literally, the only reason I joined the gym was because I wanted to get skinny. Like, that was my goal at the time. Um, and eventually started lifting weights, which was just like a huge transformation for me um, mentally, more so than just, I mean, physically. Yes, I had a physical transformation, but also um, it just changed the game for me in terms of my ideas about what were possible for myself, my relationship with my body, et cetera, and eventually started powerlifting um, and just loved it so much. Then I moved into coaching and training women. I was kind of doing that on the side for a very long time. Um, and then, like I said, I left my corporate job in July. Um, to do pursue just doing this full time. Um, and along the way, I started writing, which was always, like I said, my first love. That's what I grew up doing and kind of had lost sight of that over the years. So I started doing that again um, and really have been enjoying that so much. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I think of how I got to where I am now, it was all because of strength training. And um, I don't think I would have ever found my way to this, to what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that. Your writing is so incredible too. Like I want to just, just, I was like, I could just spend the entire show reading your blogs. They're so good. And you were recently pub published on S Self Magazine too, weren't you? Yes, or I was, um, which was like a huge accomplishment. I was really excited about it. Um, and it's so interesting because like, I think that like, I thank you again for my compliments on my writing. And I think it's just so like, I, I truly firmly believe more and more that like when you follow the things that you're really passionate about, like doors just open up for you. Um, and even when I think about like publishing for self, I had had this conversation like a couple weeks before with a friend that I was like really going to like put myself out there with my writing and I was going to like start pitching to people and, you know, like go all in. And like when I made that decision, Literally a week later, I got an email from Self asking me if I wanted to write an article for them. Oh, my God. Right, right? So I just am such a firm believer as, like, when you make the decision to do something and then, like, follow whatever it is that you're passionate about, like, the universe just, like, really opens doors for you. So, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I would say so. Getting published on Self is pretty pretty major. Yeah, I was Congrats. really – Thank you. Yeah, I was very excited about it. It was a very fun moment for me. And it must have been really validating. I mean, leaving a full-time job is so nerve-wracking and so scary to pursue your own your own thing. And that must have been really validating, too. Like, yes, uh, you're on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely, yes, it's definitely those cues that be like, okay, I made a good decision. Because it is very nerve-wracking to leave a full-time full job. I said I've been there since I graduated from college. Um, and I was making what most people would consider really good money, um, 
But I was also like not, I was miserable. Not even, I was going to say I was like not fulfilled. I was actually miserable at the job. (laughs) Um, But it was still a really big decision. And um, there's some days I was like, oh, still feeling nervous about it. But at the end of the day, like I always tell myself I can always go back to that job. Not necessarily that job, but I can always go back to a more corporate position. Like there's plenty of jobs out there. Um, But I think that so many great things have happened since I left that position that I don't think uh, would have happened while I was there. So I do feel it's like the universe showing you that you're going in the right direction. So it's been good. Well, I think the reason things have been going so well for you is because you're saying something really different. I mean, you're just the wellness market. We all know it's extraordinarily saturated, but you're just not just another talking head. You're making waves. You're you're saying different things and you're everything that you're saying and writing needs to be heard. You had said that uh, lifting kind of opened the door to where you are now, which, you know, can you explain that? Yes, absolutely. So uh, growing up, like I said, I wasn't really involved in a lot of uh, like sports. I never lifted weights at all. Um, And so growing up, I really had this narrative and it wasn't even, it was just like a, it was like an ongoing joke in my family that I was like a weak person, like, like physically weak. Um, and I was like, okay with that because like, yeah, like some people are weak, some people are strong. I'm just weak. Uh, and so when I joined the gym, like I said, my only goal for the gym was that I wanted to be skinny. And so I got a trainer because my sister got a trainer. And I remember our first session, she wanted to lift weights. And I was like, what? I told you I wanted to be skinny. Like, I don't need to lift weights. That's not what I'm here for. And so she kind of like, just trust me, like, you know, I know what I'm doing here, basically, like you hired me, so you should listen to me. So I was like, okay, cool. So I started strength training with her. And that first session was 30 minutes. It literally was like, felt like the hardest thing I'd ever done. Um, But I kept going back. And like slowly and surely, like I started seeing that like my body was um, like reacting to it in a positive way. And like I was getting stronger and things that felt like really difficult a couple weeks ago. And I wasn't doing anything like super intense, just like body weight stuff, like walking lunges and like push ups, stuff like that. I started like doing more reps and I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm getting stronger. This is pretty cool. And, you know, over a few months time, my body really progressed and like I was really noticing that like, wow, I am actually kind of strong. Like, wow. And so over through that process, I realized that like strength is a skill just like anything else. And so the narrative that I told myself that I'm just a weak person was not the truth. That was just the narrative. That was just the story that I was telling myself. And so what happened for me, because I firmly believe like the strength that we gain in the gym is like transferred into every area of our lives. And so for me, what I realized is like, well, what other stories have I been telling myself and other parts of my life that aren't true? They're just the stories that I've been telling myself. Um, and I really started to question like, what I was doing with my life, like, why was I even doing the things I was doing? And so much of it, I realized was just like, programming and social conditioning, I never really taken the time to step back and be like, what do I really want for myself, right? Like even with my corporate job and my position, I had a great job, I was making great money, but like I had never, like that wasn't my dream. I didn't like, oh, I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna go work at this place. And honestly, I, I ended up working at that place because I got out of college, I thought I was gonna go to law school, I wanted to take a break. And I had a friend that worked there and I just started working there. And then I started getting promoted and I just stayed there, right? And I never thought about it. Um, and so I really started to like, oh, what do I actually want? And that's when I started like, I, you know, I always said that I wanted to write and like somewhere along the way, I told myself the story that like, I can't make money being a writer or I can't be, do that for a living. And so I stopped doing the things that I was passionate about. Um, and so that like that journey to strength really helped me reconnect with myself. Um, and just again, start pushing the boundaries for myself personally and questioning the stories that I've been telling myself. 
I feel like everybody listening can relate to that. Maybe not necessarily the strength training part, but just of like kind of being complacent in your life. You're like, I guess this is just my life. Um, I think we all get so attached to our stories. I see personally see a lot of chronic illness in my practice. And I, I think we can get so wrapped up in the stories of like, my body failed me, my body's unpredictable. Um, I'm a sick person. My, you know, we get attached to our illness, but we can do the same thing in other areas of our life, whether it's career, relationships, whatever. So it's so cool to hear you talk about how it's, you can really rewrite your story at any given point in your life. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Um, and now here you are like a beacon in my eyes of, of the health and, and wellness movement where it should be going at any rate. Um, we talk a lot on, on this show, my, my co-host and I, who's not here, Kyle, about how health and wellness are really all encompassing. It's, it's not, just about the food that we eat or how we move our bodies. It's the thoughts that we think, right? It's the stories that we tell ourselves. It's our ideas about safety. It's how we feel in our homes. It's how we feel in our bodies and our communities. It's socialization, spirituality, love and relationships. It's it's all of it, right? We can't we can't like compartmentalize. Um, and I think anyone calling themselves a holistic practitioner claims the same thing, right? Health is all encompassing. But if we're going to claim that, then we really have to show up for all facets of that. And something that you write so often about and, and you write so well um, is talking about race and how we have to look at that because wellness includes race. Wellness includes politics. It's not just green, du green juice and like, you know, hashtag gratitude, right? And you wrote... Um, I told you I was going to quote you a lot in the show. <laughs> you wrote, race affects everything. Politics affects everything. White supremacy affects everything. You can't empower women without recognizing and addressing all the issues that affect women. The mental health, emotional health, and overall well-being of women are directly affected by all of these issues. Empowerment is only as powerful as it is inclusive. And that last part like really drives it home because I think right now in 2018, almost 2019, female empowerment and feminism are becoming more mainstream. I mean, just last week I saw a mug at Marshall's that said feminist on it. So like it's out there, it's mainstream. And I think women are starting to wake up to this idea that we're looking around and we're like saying, holy shit, I've been oppressed. You know, like I've been oppressed all these years and I'm, I'm all done with it. And what you're saying is like, uh-uh-uh not so fast you know like it's not just a, about looking around and looking at your fellow fellow woman but like looking at everybody right and really realizing that um and so for those of us who might not be familiar with the term intersectional feminism can you talk about that because that's a big you know like that's a big position you take and can you tell us a little bit more about what that means and what that looks like absolutely so um Yes, I agree with you on so many things that you said already, just in terms of like, um, that feminism is becoming main, a little bit more mainstream. Um, and I think that's great. I think it's important. Um, but then again, kind of like what you're saying is that like, it's really important that we're approaching it from an intersectional lens, right? So the term intersectional feminism, um, or intersectionality, I should say, was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in the, like the 1980s. And she is a black feminist 
Um, and so she coined that term. And it's really important because it's it's not just about like diversity and inclusion, which are very important things, but it's also about just understanding like intersecting identities, right? So like race, um, gender, social status, class, all of those things intersect, right? And so our experiences in the world are colored by our varying intersecting identities. Um, and so we can't uh, like talk about feminism without recognizing that my experience as a black woman in the world is different from that of a white woman, right? If in the experience of a black queer woman is very much different even from my experience. And so uh, everything that we do when we're talking about feminism has to be through the lens of intersectionality so that we recognize that like, while you know you may be oppressed in this world as a woman, the experience of someone else is even more could be even more compact than yours because of these other identities. Um, and so, when we're talking about things like feminism, we have to recognize that, like the pay gap, for example, for women and men is huge, right? But the pay gap even between like white women and black women is very different. So, uh, all of those issues have to be on the forefront. And when we're talking about like creating change and all of those things, we really need to consider that like, for example, black trans women have the highest death rate, period, right? So that's something that's important. And we have to show up for all of these different issues. We can't just show up for the ones that look like uh, us, right? <laughs> we need to show up for all women um, when we're talking about feminism. And and all women also needs to, in and to include trans women. So, um, like, feminism is great. I'm, like, excited that more people are talking about it. Um, but we really have to be talking about it. Like, who are, what does actually showing up look like? And are we showing up for people who look different than us, right? And it's more than just, like, wearing, uh, like, a pink pussy hat and saying, like, you know, equal rights for all women. It's about actually showing up for all women and understanding those intersecting identities. And what do you feel like is the, well, you know, I feel like we have to kind of bring up the P word here, not the, the other, not pussy, but the other P word, um, privilege, because yeah. it's, it's one that we're hearing a lot about, you know, in regards to the race conversations, we keep hearing this word. And what I've noticed, whether that's in like human to human interactions, like with conversations I'm actually having, or just like creeping around on people's Instagram feeds, reading comments, um, that that word privilege tends to make people feel a little bit cagey, mm -hmm. a little bit backed into a corner. And I I think it's important to note that we all have, all of us have some sort of privilege, right? And you can definitely speak to this more and help people start to unpack and examine their own privilege more than I can, but um, just because it's what you do. But saying that you have privilege or by pointing out someone's privilege, it's not trying to rob you of your experiences. It's not saying that your life has been a cakewalk. It's not saying that you haven't been through hard things. It's not saying that you didn't earn the merits that you have. It's not saying that everything you have was handed to you. But I think that's what people hear when they hear the word privilege, right? They hear hear that. So they immediately close down to it. They write it off. But I think it's so important to understand that when we talk about privilege, it's not discounting the hardships that you've gone through. Nobody's saying you haven't struggled in your life. No one's saying you haven't had to overcome challenges. It's really more about acknowledging the hardships that you didn't have to go through, right? That's That to me is what privilege is. So what do you, like? how do we how do we get people like off the defense about privilege and just start to to acknowledge it in our own lives, start to examine it? And then once we understand it, what do we do with that information? 
Yeah. So first of all, you explained that so well. So, I mean, that was, that was great. And it's basically everything that you just said. Um, and people do, you're right. People get like really, um, anxious when you bring up the word privilege right away. And especially when you say like white privilege in front of it, but you already said what needs to be said is that all of this experience privilege in some way, shape or form, right? There's privilege that comes with uh, gender, there's privilege like male privilege, right? There's privilege that comes with um, aesthetics, like pretty privilege, there's pretty the privilege that comes with being in a thin body, there's privilege that comes with class, there's privilege that comes with education. So all of us experience privilege in some way, shape or form. Um, and again, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not like we did anything to earn that. Um, so and it does not discredit anything that you've worked for. It doesn't discredit that you may have had a hard life. None of those things are true when we're talking about privilege. And you're absolutely correct in saying it's more about like, what have you not had to struggle with because of the privilege that you have? Um, and so I think it's really important for everyone to acknowledge the ways in which we are privileged, no matter who we are, because we do have ways in which we are privileged. Um, and I think it's also really important then to recognize, like, how am I going to leverage that privilege? Like, what can I do with the privilege that I have to make things better for someone else? Um, and that's what it really comes down to. And so we're having these conversations about, like, uh, diversity and inclusion and intersectionality, what it really comes down to is like, if we're really wanting to create change in the world, it comes down to people having to or having to be willing to give up access to power and give up access to privilege, because that's the only way that we can actually create change. You have to acknowledge it, accept it, and be willing to give up some of that. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for some people, because it's one thing to acknowledge that privilege exists or there's inequalities. It's another thing to say, I'm willing to give up some of my access to privilege or power to make things more equitable for other people. Or I'm willing to put some of my privilege on the line to elevate an issue for a marginalized community. And those are things that, you know, putting it into action is a little bit harder than just talking about it. All right. And so this is where I'm going to like put myself on blast and totally make myself look like a donkey on the show by asking, can you give an example of that? Like, can you? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm I'm sitting here like I'm I'm genuinely looking to learn from you. I'm not pretending I have all of the answers or even any of the answers. I, I just you know, I want to learn my four and a half year old. This is kind of funny. This week, she asked my husband and I, and she's like, how do you guys know all the things? Like, mm -hmm. at what age do you <laughs> learn? Do you know all the things? And we're like, oh, we don't know it. We don't know shit. Like, but we're like, we don't, you keep learning. Like, that's part of the human experience is like you learn. And when you learn different things, you do different things, you know, you just be better with with everything you learn. And so that's really what I'm looking to do. But when, so when you say that, you know, you have to put, you know, to, in order to leverage your privilege, you have to be able to give some of it up in order, like, how, give me some examples of how, or an example of how that might look. Absolutely. I have a couple of examples. Um, I'm glad that you asked this question. So one thing for, I'll talk specific to like the fitness and wellness industry. Um, so I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, we need to create more diversity and inclusion. And I'm talking about like, uh, white, people saying that we need to create more diversity and inclusion, more opportunities to other people. So an example is like, if you get invited, not you personally, but if anybody, someone gets invited to like, um, speak at a conference, for example, right? Uh, a great place, like if you really want to, to like, put the rubber to the road and actually put this in action is I think number one, you ask like, who are the other speakers 
um, and presenters. And if you notice that, you know, there's no one of color, there's no one um, from marginalized communities, that's a great opportunity to be like, you know what, I think I could do a fantastic job at this. But here's five other people that also could do a really good job at that. And you can pass that opportunity off to someone else. And I know a lot of people hearing that and be like, well, that's not fair and that's not whatever. And and I get it. I understand where that is where that, that feeling is coming from. But that's an example of how you leverage your privilege. That's an example of how you can put that into practice. Another thing um, is again, we're talking about like getting invited to do things or organizations or panels, ask questions to people. Um, before you agree to participate in an event, ask who else is being who, who else is gonna be in this event. Is this just going to be another opportunity or another panel or another whatever of cisgender white women and men? Then I can't be a part of that because I I I can't be in environments where we're not creating diverse and inclusive spaces. And so that's an opportunity to say, like, even if even if you feel strongly about being in this event, like I can be in the event, but however, we need to make sure that we're including other people and use your voice to leverage um, and lose your privilege in that situation to leverage uh, the the playing to, not leverage, but to to level the playing field for other people and open up opportunities and spaces for other people. That makes sense. One thing that that you know when we're talking about privilege that. I'm constantly, the more that I try to learn about it and like actively like learn about this so I can do better, the more I'm confronted with my own privilege and feel humbled by it and also embarrassed by it. And because you really start to question like, how have I been complicit in all of this? And I, I, it brings me to the feeling of guilt and shame. And this is something that I really wanted to talk to you about because I feel like you can go in, in two different directions here. You can go in one direction of completely rejecting the idea of privilege, right? Like, I'm, I, I don't believe in that. I don't buy into it. I don't, you know, like totally def- get defensive and obviously do nothing with it. And then you can go in the, the complete opposite direction and you feel such immense guilt and shame that you feel crippled by it. And so again, you do nothing. And I, I think guilt is one of those funny emotions for me because it doesn't feel very productive. It just kind of pins me to the ground. It pins me to the spot that I'm in. And it doesn't really give me a whole lot of information on how to take steps forward. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm beyond saddened. I'm really just disgusted and deeply horrified with the race, racial disparities that exist in our country. And I have no words for it. And I have no clue how to use my voice. Um, one thing I mentioned earlier, I'll when I'm trying to learn more and have conversations, I'll kind of creep around on people's uh, social media feeds who are talking about about this and talking about intersectional feminism. And I always read the comments for better or worse. I just want to see what people are saying. And one thing that I see a lot of white women say is, I feel like every time I open my mouth to say something, it's wrong. And I think that's a very common feeling. And it's perhaps part of the reason why some folks choose to remain silent about this and not get involved in this conversation. It's that feeling of anything I say is going to be wrong or I don't know enough to talk about this. And I'll, honest, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and say that that's something that I'm guilty of, of like feeling like I don't know enough, so I should just keep my mouth shut. I'm afraid to open my mouth for fear of misstepping somewhere. And I'm not honestly not trying to justify those thoughts for myself. I'm just trying to be as open and honest about my position, even if it is embarrassing to admit. Um, but what would you say to people feeling this way? Like, because we know silence is complicity, right? So how do you open your mouth, even if you're, you're afraid of, of screwing up? Do you just have to just get over yourself? 
Yes. So I have so many things to say about what you just said. So number one, I just wanted to go back to that comment about guilt and shame, right? Because I do think that comes up a lot for people. Um, so interestingly, I was just reading a book this morning, um, Brene Brown, and she had a really great distinction because I don't think shame is ever helpful in any situation. I don't think feeling shame is a good emotion to have. And I don't think it's productive, but she outlined the difference in her mind of guilt and shame. So guilt is like, I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. Right. And so I think those are two very different emotions. And I don't think there's any place for shame in this conversation or in any areas of lives, to be honest, because nothing productive comes from thinking you're a bad person. But guilt saying I did something bad, um, it's an uncomfortable feeling. Like I think it's very uncomfortable. I feel guilt when I do something bad. And it, while it's uncomfortable, it also allows us the space to be like, okay, I recognize a behavior about myself that I don't like. And now I can change to be different. Like it's a motivating factor to be like, this. when I did this thing, I felt bad. And I recognize whatever about my behavior I don't like. And so I can use that as a motivator to change something about myself. So I, I know people like tie those words together a lot. Um, and I used to do that a lot myself. But I don't think that guilt is always the worst emotion. I think it's an emotion that we can work through. And it's like a, a place of reflection to say, why am I feeling guilty about what I did? Right? Because I think there is validity and saying I did something bad and I feel bad about what I did, not that I am bad, but it's a reflection point to be like, okay, I need to change something and there's a behavior that I need to replace, right? So that's the first thing. That's um, awesome. And I love how you like spun that to like motivation to change because that's actually a really positive thing, right? It's yeah. like it's okay to like look at myself and, and honestly gearing up for this conversation, I was like I, I was really I was having like a really emotional day about it because I think it was just like so forced to evaluate all the stuff inside of me that's been you know, a lot of it is is social programming, but it's nothing that I've ever really had to confront before. And it's hard to confront that stuff. But instead of just sitting here feeling like I'm a, you know, a shit bag, I can just be like, no, these are the things that need to be changed. And here's how I'm going to do it. So I thank you for making that that clarification. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I didn't make that up. So I can't take that much credit <laughs> for it. But when I read it, I was just like, wow, that's such a, a true statement. And it, it resonated with me anyways, about like, again, because we all experience guilt in our lives and, and shame too, right? And I don't, again, shame's not productive, but we do experience that at times. So yes. And then moving on to um, like, when we don't know what to say or how to say it. So the first thing I, I always say, like, you know, when you're feeling like I have no idea how to add value to this conversation because I have no idea what to say, um, I think that's a completely valid feeling. And I think like a great place for people to start is just sharing the work of other people who are already saying the things, right? Um, and that's an easy way to get involved in the conversation without personally having to put your own, because maybe you don't feel like you have the language to talk about it yet, right? That's one easy way to to have the conversation, to engage and to like, educate other people is to just share excuse me, share the work of people who are already doing this work, right? And then number two, I think, you know, when it comes to like making missteps or saying things wrong, getting things wrong, like I think it's so important to note that everybody gets it wrong sometimes. I get it wrong all the time. So 
I I do think at some point like you just have to you just have to do it because if you're waiting to get everything perfect, you'll never be able to enter the conversation. You'll never be able to engage, and you'll also never learn how to have the difficult conversations. Um, and so I just want to clear up for everyone that like no matter who you are, and no matter how far you are along in this work, no matter what, like you're going to make mistakes, and that is part of the process. No one is perfect, and I think it's really important to allow ourselves grace and to show ourselves compassion for the fact that we will mess up sometimes. Um, and so moving along with that, though, is like, because we mess up does and you know, it was an honest mistake doesn't mean that people are never going to call us out about our mess ups, like, they will, people will bring it to our attention. And sometimes they'll bring it to our attention in a way that feels really great for us and makes us feel good. And sometimes it may not feel make us feel good. Um, but I think it's really important that we aren't tone policing how people are, um, bringing their critique to us, even though like we prefer like the nice, comfortable, soft critique. It's it's, it's not like something that we uh, have a right to. So I think it's really important, number one, to recognize that. And so going along with that, I think it's important to resist the urge to feel defensive when someone um, calls us in or calls us out. And calls us in is basically like when someone comes to us like on a private one-on-one conversation, like not in public view and says, hey, you said this thing and maybe like it was offensive for whatever reason, that's calling in. Calling out is like they're like publicly outing you like on the internet or whatever or in front of people, right? That'd be calling out. Um, but it, whether someone calls us in or calls us out, the first step is that we really need to resist the urge to feel defensive and that can be really hard. But it's important that we're listening without the intent to respond. And sometimes when, you know, someone calls, like, brings something to our attention, we're, we're listening, but we're actually listening with like how we're going to respond to them instead of just listening to them. So it's important to like just listen. And then also remember that it can be like wildly, wildly uncomfortable for someone from a marginalized group to be talking to someone that's in like a position of power and explaining why they did something that was like offensive. I've had to do that so many times and it's never been a comfortable situation for me. So when someone's like bringing this to your attention, just recognize that it's not also probably comfortable for them either, right? Like it's not easy to be the person that's in, the, you know, a marginalized position in this power dynamic to have to bring this to your attention. So number one, resist the urge to feel defensive. Number two, like own up to it and take responsibility. It's the best thing that we can do in those situations. And then rectify the situation to the best of your ability. If you can rectify it in any way, shape, or form, I suggest rectifying it. And then number four, just commit to being to doing better in the future. And again, remember to show yourself compassion um, because again, like anytime this happens, it doesn't feel great, but it's an important part of like the learning and growing process. And it will happen to us probably over and over again. So it's important to show ourselves compassion. Those are all really, really great, helpful, practical tips. And you're so right. The resisting the urge to feel defensive is absolutely the hardest part in that because nobody wants to be called out or called in for that matter. Being called out is like, oh, it's the worst feeling. And um, But I, I think to your point, also understanding that the person that's approaching you, you know, that's, that's a challenge for them too. And if we can just, I think it just boils down to like, can we could be compassionate and can we listen to people? Can we listen to each other? And I think we can all, we all have so much to learn for each, from each other. And, you know, understanding that if somebody's reaching out, it's probably because like that's a pain point, right? And so listen to that. Listen to that and acknowledge that rather than get defensive. Like step outside your comfort zone, step outside yourself in order to to make space for somebody else and to, to make space for their experience because their experience is valid too. Um, I, I 
um, this is like a month or so ago, I posted something on Facebook and in the post I used the, the term uh, drink the Kool-Aid. You know, it's a term that we all use. And somebody just dropped a, a link, a hyperlink to, I think a New, New York Times article is like why we all need to stop saying that because it's extraordinarily offensive to people um, because it's like was a really tragic event and it's not something to make light of. <clears throat> and then I addressed her back and it was like sort of a hostile, it was like, you know, got hot for a minute. And she, so she had called me out on a pl public platform, right? And then she sent me a private DM and we had this awesome conversation, this back and forth conversation where she's like, I see you. And I was like, I see you. And we both learned from the experience. And I think we both grew from the experience. And I walked away from that like feeling so awesome. I, will, I won't use that term again. First of all, I learned that. But second of all, I had this like really cool human connection with somebody else and even though it was like super uncomfortable and it was embarrassing to be called out on a public platform like I feel feel like I walked away from like such a better person you know so I think we can all we can all really learn and grow from all of these experiences even if they suck while we're going through them um you had mentioned resources so like if you don't have if you feel uncomfortable if you don't feel like you have the language to bring to the table about a certain subject then share other people's work that have already done the you know done the work for you so obviously you know if if those listening haven't li read any of Chrissy's stuff go read everything she's she's written it's so good and you can share 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 but what you had also mentioned Kimberly Crenshaw that was another person you had mentioned do you have any other resources that that could be really helpful for people if they want to learn more and start to um you know put some language to this and feel feel confident in having these conversations yes so um i'm a big reader <laughs> so i always go to books first um my favorite like i've learned so much from reading black feminist um so like audrey lord is one of my favorite people to read Bell Hooks. Um, any one, some of my favorite books is "Ain't I a Woman" by Bell Hooks. Um, Feminism is for everyone, everybody, which is also by Bell Hooks. Um, so I always recommend reading Black Feminism um, because all these things that I'm talking about, and like, and that's what's also really like important that I always tell people, like myself or any of the other people I'm going to mention shortly, like none of us are making up any of these ideas. These are not new topics. Like when I read Bell Hooks, it's just it resonates with me that like where we are today is the same place we were in like 1950 when Bell Hooks was writing this. Um, so it's nothing new and none of us are like coming up with like brand new ideas. Um, but I also love reading James Baldwin. Um, so those are some of my favorite people to read. Um, but also like in terms of people like following to follow on social media, I'm a really big fan of I Heart Erica. Um, she, I learned from her a lot. And, and again, like no matter where you are in this work, there's always like a different perspective. There's always more to learn. And so, uh, she really challenges me to, uh, just think differently and to think about way things in ways that I've never thought about them. So I'm a big fan of her. I'm also a big fan of Rachel Cargyle, who is also on Instagram. Um, so those are people that I follow on social media, but again, I like really recognize, I, I really recommend just reading. Um, and I just, uh, again, I'm a bookworm. So I have a, a deep love for books, but also like there's just so much to be learned and so much knowledge to be gained from just reading books. So I'm a wicked bookworm too. And you quote Audre Lorde a lot and I, I actually didn't yeah. know who that was. So now I now I do and I'm going to absolutely check out her stuff 
as well as bell hooks. I remember um, reading her actually in high school. So that's, I remember Ain't I a Woman. So that's funny that you brought that up. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it kind of, you know, one thing you had said in one of your blogs, and I can't remember which one, but you were kind of poking fun at the 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 t-shirts and like the the catchphrases empowered woman empower women right like, mm-hmm. like everybody's championing that message which again is great awesome like yes like rise of the female awesome but like if you're if you're talking about about feminism left and right like you also have to include the works of you know, like we all stand on the shoulders of giants and these are these are giants that we're, you know, standing on the shoulders of. So respect those works and engage yourself in those works. If you're truly going to step into the arena and talk about female empowerment, like you got to do it like full tilt. Yes, I think it's, it's really important. And I think, you know, I talked about empowerment. You're right. I was being like a little sarcastic about it because I think that empowerment is like such a like a catchphrase and a buzzword right now um, in the fitness space. And I think it's great, like, because I do think that women empowering other women is amazing, but it's got to be more than just like a catchphrase, right? Like it has to be something that we actually embody, not just say. And so like one of the things that I really dislike uh, in general is when things become a commodity, right? And I think empowerment and like feminism in some ways are, like you said, you saw like a feminist journal at Marshall's, right? So it's become something that people are capitalizing off of. And I just think it's really, really important that if we're going to be talking about these things, that we actually be about the things um, and that we're not, you know, out here doing performative activism in any way, shape or form, that we're actually meaning there's actual substance behind the messages that we're putting out. And when you say performative activism or performative feminism, what what do you mean by that? Yeah. So when I say performative, I mean like, you know, like you're not just doing it for show, meaning that like, or even I talk about in your empowerment being performative, right? Like I think we're at a day and age where being feminist or like talking about inclusion or talking about um, empowerment, right? Like in some ways it looks really great if you're doing those things, right? And so it's an easy way, I think. It's like a very low-hanging fruit for people to talk about and to say in their business because it sounds good and you want to be diverse and you want to be inclusive. Those are important things. Those are like catchphrases right now, right? So it's easy to talk about those things and make it look really good, like perform the act without actually doing the act. So, you know, again, if, if someone is out here toting themselves of like an inclusive business or whatever, an inclusive organization, the first thing I'm going to ask them is who are your board of directors? Who are your employees? Who are whatever? Because again, if you're talking about diversity and inclusion and that's like, you know, the sounding board for your business, and then I ask you who your board of directors are, and again, they're all like cisgender white women and white men, then your talk about being inclusive is really just performative. It's for show because if you were truly inclusive, there's no way your board of directors could look like that. Um, and so the same thing if we're talking about performative, uh, like empowerment or feminism, like if you're not talking about issues that are affecting women of color or trans women, then you're just out here saying things that look good and sound good, but you're not actually doing the thing. Yeah, it's no different than using buzzwords for clickbait. It's, it's right. kind of like the same shtick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You had um, you had mentioned a while when we were talking about privilege, um, thin privilege. And I was like, huh, you know, that's not 
one that I've really, really thought about before. Can you? And it, we we talk so much about dieting and diet culture on this show. Can you speak a little bit more to to that whole idea? Yes, absolutely. So I think we don't talk about it a lot, um, and I think it's. And we just don't, I, I myself, right? Like I was never thinking about these things a lot or talking about them a lot, but you know, thin privilege is, comes in so many different ways, shape and form. I mean, obviously there's literal, there's actual discrimination against people in larger bodies, but then also like on a smaller level, just like things that happen every day, like all the time I used to say, and I don't say this anymore, but I used to say like, does this make me look fat? Like, that's so fat phobic to say something like that, right? But it's just like these things that you don't even ever question the way that you're talking and the way that you're saying. Um, and then we talk about thin privilege too. It's just the idea that like, again, when you live in a larger body, people val- or people like critique everything that people in larger bodies do. They look at the way they, the food they're eating, they look at whatever, and they make judgments about their bodies. They make judgments about their productivity. They say they're lazy. They look like this because they're eating this, that, and the other. When thin people are eating food that like, or whatever you want to call it, like high calorie or calorie dense, whatever, no one is questioning that. No one is making judgments or statements about the way that they're eating. No one is making observations or about like their lifestyle or if they're productive humans or anything like that. No one is saying those things. Um, And I think thin privilege in the fitness industry is like, again, we come back to like the co-opting of the body positive movement, right? And so like, I think everybody can be body positive and I think everybody has a different experience in the world. And so I'm not just crediting anybody's experience, but the body positive community was not founded for thin women to talk about how they gained a couple pounds, but they still love their bodies. And so again, it's like this co-opting of buzzwords. So now like, you know, you have women and I've, you know, and again, I'm not criticizing anybody. It is what it is, but you have women who are in still very thin presenting bodies that benefit from the privilege of being thin in this society, talking about, um, you know, the little bit of skin they have over their stomach and using like body positive messages behind that. That was never what the movement was for. It was never created for people in thin bodies. And so like just co-opting of entire movements. And so I see this all over fitness all the time. Um, and I just, it's something that I've been thinking about and questioning my own like fat phobia, right? Because again, we have, to, I'm always encouraging myself and other people to examine our implicit bias and our unconscious bias because we all have it. And so for me, that's been like digging deeper into my ideas about fat bodies and what that means and what my thought processes are. And what do I think when I see someone in a fat body? What do I think about myself and my own body? Um, and so, I just think it's really important that we're always just uncovering and undiscovering and thinking about things in new and different ways. Oh God, that's so true. The co- the especially the, the co opting of body positive, the the whole body positive movement because I I've I just keep seeing that more and more and more at least in my own you know cone of influence or whatever like in my own social media little hole um and i'm seeing it more and more to like actually sell restrictive diets and i'm like wait wait a second like (laughs) i don't get this here like this is this is not okay but it's just people swoop in it's like what you said when it becomes a commodity people swoop in and they just start start like slinging the words all over the place to like push their agenda and it just it really feels kind of yucky and it sucks but at the same time it's it's tricky because with the whole thin privilege i mean we've all been indoctrinated with the idea that thin equals good right thinness is equated with health it's equated with like 
with, with all good things. And it's such a hard paradigm to, to like give up, I think, because it's just, we're so saturated in it. I mean, it's every single message that we, we hear is, is, is that. Oh, 100%. I totally agree. And even like, again, I, I remember like a few years ago, I, I I would say things like, oh, I don't care if they're overweight as long as they're quote unquote healthy, right? Like even that is problematic, right? Because we don't look at thin people and be like, oh, we don't care if they're thin as long as they're quote unquote healthy. And like the idea that body size is related to health, it's just so indoctrinated in our, like like again, every day I'm re- realizing new ways because it's so deep in our culture and we've been programmed in this way for so long. It's really, really difficult to unlearn those things. Yeah. It's like when somebody's coming to me saying they want to get healthy, but like really what they mean is they want to get skinny. And yes. then like the two are not, you know, like are, are not always the same thing. No. Like you have to, you have to dissociate those two, those two things. And I just feel like to kind of like tie all of this together, you know, well, when we're talking about diet culture or even wellness culture, it just keeps us so small minded when we're worried about our flat bellies or if we're like focused on those Instagrammable self-care moments because self-care is a commodity now too. We we miss what's going on in the world around us. And, you know, we've all heard it said before, dieting is a political sedative. Maybe it was Naomi Wolf, I, th- I think, who said that. But when we're hyper-focused on carb grams or our pant size, we're not really concerning ourselves with social injustices going on around us, right? If, and if we can lay down the, the dieting, if we can lay down the body obsession, then we get to open our eyes to what's really happening around us. The more we can see others and the more we can better ourselves by, and better the world around us. And I love the the proverb when sleeping women wake mountains move it, that I just love that one so much but I always think that like a woman who's obsessed with changing her body she's not moving mountains like she doesn't even see the freaking mountains because she's so caught up in such a you know in herself in her body and like such really not important things that she she misses everything that's going on around around us. And we just, I think we just need to open our eyes and we need to listen to people and we have to put ourselves in potentially an uncomfortable situation in order to learn more, in order to listen to other people's experiences. So um, I just really appreciate all of the work that you're doing and all of the words that you're writing because they're so freaking important. And I just feel like you need like the biggest stage in the world so everybody can hear what you're doing and saying. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And and also, I just wanted to like 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, I'm telling you, like it keeps us small and it robs us of our energy when we're obsessed about our bodies. Um, and I did that for so long. So I'm speaking from a place of like, that was me for so long. Um, and I just, I, I 100% agree with everything you said. And I just wish like every person in the world could hear this and could like internalize it because I'm telling you, it's a game changer when we start to use that energy for other things. Oh my God, for sure. It's like when you stop obsessing about your body and about like freaking calories, it's like, oh my God, I have all this brain space to yes. do like really incredible things and change yes. the world. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. All right, Chrissy, you're the best. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and learn more about you? Absolutely. So um, on Instagram, I and that's where you'll probably find me most active. It's I am Chrissy King. 
my website is chrissyking.com. That's where you can read all my blogs. Um, I'm on Twitter at I am Chrissy King as well. But generally speaking, it's Instagram and my website are places to keep up with me. Okay. And when is your book drop? Oh my gosh. I don't know. You know, it's so funny that you say that. It's definitely like um, a book is on my list for life. I don't know how soon or when, um, and I don't even know what it's going to be about yet, but that's like a goal of mine. So it's really interesting that you brought that up. So you're speaking it into the universe and you've just confirmed that you, yes. you just, you just confirmed something for me. So thank you so much for that. It's happening. It's happening for <laughs> thank sure. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you having, uh, having you coming on the show and um, everybody go check out Chrissy King. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 